Hey, Ryan. Rye. Matt? What is this place? Fuck! What the fuck? What's going on? I mean, fuck! What's with my voice? What'd you do? This is the quantum realm. It's a miniature subatomic universe that exists underneath our own. Here, drink this goo. It'll help with your voice. Ah, but much better. So what the hell are we doing here? Well, you're listening to Cinema Jaw, Ryan, the greatest movies podcast ever, recorded on location in the quantum realm. My name is Matt Kay, and with me is... Rye the Movie Guy. You still didn't answer my question, though, Matt. What the hell are we doing here? Well, since we're reviewing Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania and doing our top five shrinking movies, I figured we'd do an on-location here in the quantum realm. Why not? Honey, I shrunk the podcast? Exactly. All right. Well, I thought in honor of Ant-Man and the Quantumania, it would be a good time to play trivia. Michelle Pfeiffer, Michael Douglas movie trivia. All right, that sounds like fun. Hey, you know what? We should, before we even get started, uh, read a fact. Yeah, that sounds great. It is Michelle Pfeiffer month, so let's continue that tradition with a Michelle Pfeiffer fact, Matt. All right, get this, Ryan. One of Michelle Pfeiffer's big early roles was 1983's Scarface. During the scene where she and Tony are sitting at the Cadillac at the car dealership, Al Pacino surreptitiously slips on the hat that Michelle Pfeiffer was wearing while she was looking away which was not scripted. When she turns back and sees him wearing it, her amused reaction was genuine. And to her credit, she stayed in character and ad-libbed the line. Brian De Palma decided to keep that unscripted exchange in the movie to show Elvira's gradual warming up to Montana. I love it. I actually forgot that Michelle Pfeiffer was in Scarface. She just doesn't pop what? out to me. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're celebrating her and we're going to be reviewing other movies. Holy crap, how could you and, forget that? That's and I def- forget... I forget that Scarface, she's in it, yes. Outside of Catwoman, that's probably her most iconic role. Oh, I thought it was Grease too, buddy. Well, we should talk about that with the Patreons, I think. (laughs) We will, we will, man. Hey, look over there, isn't that uh, filmmaker and Second City teacher John Mossman? Yeah, that's him. Maybe he'd come on our show as a guest. I hear he has a new movie out called Good Guy with a Gun. Yeah, exactly. He's he perfect to play trivia with. Hey, John. Oh, my God. John. John, John come on oh, over. Matt. Oh, man. What are you guys doing? Hey, what what are you doing in the quantum realm? I don't know. What are you doing in the quantum realm, man? I'm just hanging. That's what you do down here, <laughs> yeah. I guess. Yeah, just doing a little uh, helium. John, so, welcome. Welcome back to Cinema Jaw. It's been a while. Oh, it's great to be back. Usually we throw it in the fish tank, but about when was that, Ryan? Like three years ago? Four? Maybe, maybe even more. Four to we'll five years in- ago, I, I I say. We'll look that up. We'll look it up in the break, yeah. Pre-pandemic, yeah. The good old days. So you're teaching over at Second City Film School? Yeah, that's right. I'm there right now. Yeah. It's pretty exciting. And you have a yeah. new movie out. I love the title of it, Good Guy with a Gun. What can you tell us about it, John? Well, it's, uh, it's not nearly as black and white as that name might suggest. Uh, it's, uh, in fact, it was sort of intended to invoke polarizing reactions as, as it does, as it's designed to do, I guess, but really it's, it immediately dives into gray area and someone read the script and they're like, this is, this is rural noir. I really like that, uh, that term because it does really explore uh, a lot of gray area in the, in the human, um, 
you know, in the human being and in the experience and in the entire world around guns and that whole stupid phrase, good guy with the gun takes a good guy with the gun to, you know, take on a bad guy with a gun. And right. that's just not the case. Yeah. Sadly, still such a relevant topic, man. So give us the, um, the, the synopsis, if you will, the, the, the elevator pitch. Oh yeah. Well, it's a, it's a story about a grieving son and his mother. They have a fractured relationship because of their, their, uh, the father's violent death, which there's some blame going on. And they take a, a journey to a small town where that relationship is further widened by his descent into the local gun culture. Things start going from bad to worse. He goes down a path that he finds it is nearly impossible to walk back from. What's the status of the film now? Making the film festival circuit, or and is it's it going to play here in Chicago, right? It is. Uh, it's it opened on the third in um, its premiere was at uh, Dances with Films, which had a New York screening, like a, a New York version of Dances with Films, a great fest, and it's normally in L.A., but this year they did one. Um, right in the heart of Manhattan, which was terrific. And uh, that was on the third. We barely got it done in time to, to premiere there. And since then, it's probably been in a dozen or 15 fests, largely foreign fests. And, uh, and but we are having our Midwest premiere uh, on the 27th at the Gene Siskel Center. And, and uh, yeah, it sold out fast. Both theaters, like 10 hours. That's awesome. Oh, I was going to say, we'll hopefully <laughs> help you sell tickets, but if it's sold out... Sorry, yeah. Jawheads. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to have another one shortly after because there's so many people that just that are calling me like, "What? What's the deal? Like, I can't do anything." Can't well, do if you do it. add another screening, please let us know and we'll tweet about it for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Will I, we're working on it. Thanks. Where should we send uh, Jawheads mm-hmm. listening to this to find out more about the film? Maybe it's playing in their area, or just keep track of it. Oh boy, it's a uh, good guy with a gun. The film. And we'll, I'll find the links and put them in the show notes for everybody, too. Thank you. Yeah, I'm woefully ignorant of our of our social media strategy. <laughs> well, you, you make the films, you know, leave it up yeah. to other people to promote them. John, I know you haven't seen Ant-Man and the Quantum Mania, but, but you'll join us with the top five list of your favorite shrinking characters or shrinking character movie scenes, won't you? I most certainly will. Great. Think, think of that, Jawheads. Movies with shrinking and shrunken characters. That's what we're going to be talking about on, on a top five list. I got one more question for John. You, you heard it is Michelle Pfeiffer month. Favorite Michelle Pfeiffer movie? Oh, man. Yes. I, it might be my favorite is Liaisons. Ah, yes. Dangerous liaisons. Dangerous liaisons. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, She's just like, she really fits the bill. I'm not sure if she fits in it, but she's really memorable. Mm -hmm. Uh, We we just watched it. We're doing a retro review for our Patreons on that one. What do you think of that? How, how, how is that performance in, in retrospect? I loved her in there. I mean, the whole cast is, is really chewing it up. Yeah. Malkovich and Glenn Close. It's just, it's a fantastic ensemble piece in in general. Keanu Reeves is in the damn movie. Yeah. (laughs) She, she was having a a banger year. I think that's the same year married to the mob came out in tequila sunrise. She was kind of showing her range in that role that, that might've been the pinnacle of early Michelle Pfeiffer. I think. Yeah. I, I think that's kind of why I think of it that way. It's just so stuck in my memory. I think it was like the pinnacle. Absolutely. So John's movie, again, is called Good Guy with a Gun. It's playing at the Gene Siskel Film Center. Already sold out, Jawheads, but check our webpage and this post here. We'll have links to 
uh, where you can find the film and more information on it. He is sitting in on his jaw. He has his top five favorite shrinking characters coming up here, Matt. And we're doing it because of Ant-Man. Yes, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. With phase four of the MCU looming, one of the last phase three post-Endgame movies to debut will be Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Big title for some miniature superheroes. In the past, installments of Paul Rudd's Ant-Man movies have been consciously small parts of the MCU juggernaut. But Quantumania looks like a VFX acid trip that cost way more than its predecessors. Can this <clears throat> giant movie succeed in continuing the saga, or is it just a tiny disappointment? Ryan and I shrunk down into the quantum realm to find out. I used to ask myself a lot of questions. Scott, you're at ex-con. How are you an Avenger? That doesn't make sense. But everywhere I go, people tell me the same thing. Thank you, Spider-Man. People still need help, Dad. That's why we made this. It's like a satellite for deep space, but Quanta. Wait, wait a minute. You're sending a signal down to the quantum realm. Turn it off. Now. After saving the world in Endgame, Scott Lang, a.k.a. Ant-Man, played by Paul Rudd, has settled into his celebrity status, enjoying free coffees and movie premieres with his superhero life partner, the Wasp, a.k.a. Hope Van Dyne, played by Evangeline Lilly, and her family, who include the original Ant-Man and the Wasp, Hank Pym, played by Michael Douglas, and Michelle Pfeiffer, respectively. Lang's young daughter, Cassie, now 18 after the five-year blip caused by Thanos' snap, is a scientist in her own right and has created a machine that can see into the quantum realm, a subatomic world so itsy-bitsy that it exists outside of space and time, a universe unto itself that exists below our own. All of these quantum probings are very disturbing to Janet Van Dyne, but her warnings come too late as the entire crew is sucked into the strange psychedelic miniverse. Stranded, they find out what Janet was so afraid of. The realm is ruled under the iron fist of Kang the Conqueror, played by Jonathan Majors. It's up to the quintet of heroes to stop Kang's plot, to escape, and once again save the world. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is a bit of a mess, Rye. I went into this movie with high expectations after the last two films. The Ant-Man movies have always been so clever. The movie poster alone and its terrible Photoshop and sloppy design should have warned me. As they say, you can't judge a movie on its poster. The film has a bunch of flavors for the film aficionado to taste. One will get prevalent notes of Star Wars with a hint of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and even a whiff of Strange World or Evil Dead, depending on who you ask. What it lacks is good effects and an original plot with a well-paced script. There's also a shortage of good laughs. Humor's a big part of what made Ant-Man so much fun. He was funny before it was cool for Marvel movies to be funny. I'm looking at you, Thor. Sadly, the corny dad jokes just didn't work for me this time around. The best part of this movie is Michael Douglas, believe it or not, who has some of the funniest moments and also the most heroic beats. Jonathan Majors as Kang is another easy highlight. He is a commanding presence and a very fun, scary villain. 
It's sad that this Ant-Man's entry seemed to lose that thread of what made the other films in the series so enjoyable. Although it has some really cool moments, the scale of this movie is off. I'll tell you what, Matt, I've seen coming out of the theater, uh, we've talked briefly, and I've seen since today, we're about to hit record, I checked Rotten Tomatoes and people don't like this movie that much, and uh, perhaps it's because I was not expecting much from Marvel these days after the last few films, but I had no problem with the latest Ant-Man. I actually enjoyed the movie. Um, in fact, I found it more entertaining. The, I looked at the list than the last like three or four Marvel films out. Uh, that's including that's the, the last Thor, uh, Wakanda Forever, and wow. something else. I think this is is superior. I'll, I'll give <sighs> you that the, the story is messy and the effects aren't the absolute greatest. But I did love the world building in general of this quantum realm that I liked. And this juice, for instance, we did the bit at the top of the show Matt wrote this little dialogue, and it included me drinking this well, what juice. What are you talking about, Ryan? We're in the quantum <laughs> realm, man. It included me drinking this juice. Let's just take that idea, and that's what I mean by the world building. I had never seen this idea that you have to drink a liquid to understand other people in, a, in a, any type of facet of like a world. I love that. That was awesome. Well, it's the babblefish. You you are familiar, right? I mean, they don't exactly drink it. They stick a babblefish in their ear in uh, Hitchhiker's Guide. No, I don't know. So it's not an original thing. Why? So so did they drink juice in there? No. Okay. So so I can I can imagine them sitting around the table. Hey, instead of sticking a fish in their ear, how about they just do a shot? Brilliant. Okay. Well, I liked that. I also liked, uh, as you mentioned, Jonathan Majors as King. I thought he was fantastic. Agree. I, I would say it's it's top tier villain in the MCU, which I think had been lacking in the last few MCU movies. This one I thought was, all right, I'm on board with this guy. He actually scares me a little bit. When he gets angry, you can tell he can really cause some terror. The stakes are high then at that point. I enjoy that. So all in all, the humor... Probably not as funny as the other two Ant-Man films, but I still laughed a lot. I wouldn't say like crazy, but I don't know. Is this a spoiler that Bill Murray's in this movie or did you know this? He's on the cast page, so no, it's technically not a spoiler. To me, because I don't follow these things as much as a lot of people uh, when it comes to Marvel, to me, this was a huge shock. I was stunned Bill Murray was in, in a Marvel movie and I laughed that entire scene. I thought it was fantastic. I'm so over the the sardonic Bill Murray cameo. Like we we got it in um, Zombieland, mm-hmm. yeah, and he does this in everything. It's like, would it be funny if Bill Murray just showed up? Like that's the whole bit. I don't know. It works I'm for over me it. there. Okay. Then there's this character called Modoc. Do I got this right? No, Modoc. Modoc. Okay. So again, I think a lot of this comes down to expectations and and what people are expecting when they go into these movies. I've never heard of Modoc in my life. I don't know this character. I've never seen him. Didn't even know he existed. Modoc's amazing. I love Modoc. For me to see this character realized on screen, and he's played here by Corey Stoll, was hysterical. I thought every time he was on screen, it was it was a laugh out loud kind of moment. I, did that work for you, this character? Yes. So yes. you liked him. I'm a Modoc fan. I'm a Modoc super fan. I think he's one of the best. <laughs> silliest supervillains in Marvel comics and now the Marvel movies. He's great. I love me some Modoc. It worked for me. 
the he, way he, he was looked, hilarious. I mean, was fantastic. He's got these little arms and legs in this giant yeah. head. I mean, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. I was really worried about how they were going to make Modoc look on the silver screen. How how he was going to hold up in that translation, and they just went for it. They just straight up went for it. It wouldn't have worked in any other way. Like even Guardians of the Galaxy, I don't think it would have worked, but it worked here. So we're celebrating Michelle Pfeiffer. I did want to comment on her performance in the movie and her character in general. This is a pivotal role here because she plays this character that came out of the quantum realm but forgot to tell anybody about all of this down below that was happening. So we have to sort of suspend belief here and and believe, all right, she isn't going to tell Michael Douglas or anybody what is going down in the quantum realm I guess that I, I have an issue with that. It's it's weak writing. It, it's like, oh, I just decided not to tell anybody that there's this amazing, crazy world and supervillain down below. Just won't mention that to anyone. Once you get past that, however, her performance, I, I thought was pretty good. Your take on Michelle Pfeiffer in here? Yeah, she's great. She even has a, and, and obviously I know she has stunt doubles and stuff, but she even has a few action moments that were pretty cool. And she winds up being their Han Solo down there and guiding them through this world. I think she did a great job. This is probably the, the most fun I've had with Michelle Pfeiffer since Catwoman. I Look would at say. Him. I, I, I'm turning you, I'm turning you into liking. Oh no. I like Quantum I said, Mania. there's, there's some parts of this movie that are great. Kang, Michael Douglas. I'll give Michelle Pfeiffer a nod. Unfortunately, Ant-Man and the Wasp themselves were a little lackluster. Part of the problem was they, they split up the characters. You want the gang together. Right, you yeah, want never them split to, the party, right? Right, you want it, you you want them to feed off of their energy. And here now we got all of a sudden two different parties trying to get to one spot. A little bit of a problem for me. I wish they would have kept them together a little bit longer, or had them reunited a little bit sooner than they did. I, I still enjoyed the entire adventure. Maybe again because I wasn't expecting that much, so I was laughing really from start to finish. I was chuckling throughout the whole movie. So. Well, I wouldn't go that far. See, that's where you lose me. There was no funny jokes. And why did they make this into like an Avengers scale movie? Like Ant-Man is supposed to be these like little heist stories and stuff like that. It just, it didn't work for me. The scale, like I said, it was a pun, but I meant it. The scale of this movie is off. Jaw-dropping moment when Kang gets mad. <gasps> That's amazing. That's exactly what I wrote. He starts wiping people out with these lasers that uh, I'm sure fans are aware of this guy's superpowers. I was not. So I didn't know what exactly was going to happen when he got angry. That's what I mean by a terrorizing villain. This guy scared me like, oh, my God, this guy could do some real damage. There's other times where he could just sort of like move people. And I don't know what, what his technical power is, but I mean, like he could just grab people from, you know, across the room, kind of like a Darth Vader move. I guess he has the force. Does he have the force, man? Yeah. Well, this was a the, uh, a Star Wars movie. So yeah, he's probably <laughs> using the force. I've actually only read a few stories with Kang in them. Like by the time I got to the Avengers, he was not one of the main villains. So I was like Secret Wars, that, that era, the early aughts. I was going to ask one character from this movie that you would want to hang out with. That's a great question, man. Oh, for sure. Hank Pym. Yeah. No. No question about it. Yeah, absolutely. He's the inventor of the Pym particle, Ryan, in case you didn't know, <laughs> which is the the technology behind all of Ant-Man's powers. Plus, he just seems like this cantankerous old fuddy-duddy who would just be really fun to talk like politics with over a few beers, you know? Uh, that would be fun. 
I went with uh, Modoc. Modoc. Mod- <laughs> you would want to hang out. M- oh, Modoc is insane. I know, but I think how fun that would be. I mean, getting high with that guy and uh, going to a bar. <laughs> I mean, watching him like walk okay. on the bar, and and I mean, I would just have a hoot and holler. With well, this he guy. floats. Kick he doesn't it. really use those little legs, but you, yeah, you kick him around like a soccer ball every once in a while. Fantastic. Movie poster quote: Ant Man makes too many tiny mistakes. This tiny adventure supplies some big laughs. How many jaws, Ryan? I'm busting off the quarter jaw, and I'm going 2.75. This is a recommend for me, 2.75 for Ant-Man Quantum Mania. This is a two-jaw movie, and is one of the first Marvel movies I could I would say that you can skip. You got enough of Kang if you watched Loki. I don't think you're missing anything missing this movie. Well, I didn't watch Loki, so I'm getting my Kang fill now, Matt, with Quantum Mania. Well, Kang-a-lang-a-ding-dong, Rye. Jawheads. The latest Ant-Man is out in theaters everywhere. If you see it, agree, disagree, want to comment on this review, shoot us a tweet. We're at CinemaJaw. Our email is feedback at CinemaJaw.com. In honor of hanging out in the quantum realm, which is pretty cool down here, and seeing Ant-Man, our top five favorite shrinking movies or characters, scenes with characters shrinking. Yeah, yeah, shrinkage, Rye, shrinkage. Did you ever get into the pool when it's really cold, you know? I agreed to this list. Matt came up with it. I agreed to it. And then I went and did my homework. I don't love any one of my five films. John, was this an easy list for you to come up with or, or weird? I kind of, yeah, because every time every time they appear, they like they I'm glad you said scenes because it's usually the scenes that landed in my head. Some are from my childhood, but mm-hmm. a couple of them I love, a couple are just like weird fever dreams I remember seeing. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Plus, you work in a film school, so you you have a lot of people to like to to cross reference with. Oh yeah, that's 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 always been like what what's your what's your shrinking movie though? No. <laughs> that's like the weirdest thing. Like it some is weird. total yeah, some total art wreck will be like, "Honey, I shrunk the kids." Oh, that's <laughs> thing. Like, you like that? Loved it. <laughs> it's definitely yeah, I, what comes to mind is, "Honey, I shrunk the kids" for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah but I, I the, spoiler alert, that's not one of mine. Nor one of mine. Nor or nor mine, because I thought it's it's almost like an honor of a movie like that that we're doing this list. That'd yeah. be yeah. too easy. Yeah. John, what do you got sitting at number five? I have to give a nod to The Dwarf and the Giant by George Melier, 1901. The first guy, you know, I mean, the guy, the, the French photographer and filmmaker that did, you know, Trip to the Moon and all that. He does a dwarf. He, he does the first one. And I love his stuff. It's like one minute long, but it's a guy who gets big. One guy comes out, he splits, bifurcates, and then one guy gets small and one guy gets becomes a giant. So that's my number five. Sort of a nod to the first dude who did it. He, he sells the effect by having the giant sprinkle confetti onto, <laughs> yeah. the, onto the dwarf. And it actually like lands on his shoulders and you could, you could see it hitting him. George Millier was like, a genius and pretty much the father of special effects. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's pretty advanced and and it's all very puckish and fun. And um, it's not just novelty, uh, but it's a lot of it has just got a lot of uh, slapstick, lotsy of the Italian, you know, comedy, comedian stuff going on in it. Yeah, it's pretty, it's really good. I can't believe he produced as much as he did in like whatever that was, like 10 years, 15 years. He had a body of work for sure. It's and you know a lot of it you can find just on YouTube because it's like from 1901, so <laughs> right. it's it's in the public domain, I believe. Yeah, so he's my number five. 
to be honest, that's that's what I had at number five as well. But oh I will goodness. I will sub one in. I'll sub one in. I will go at number five with Army of Darkness, the scene in which Ash, played by Bruce Campbell, is attacked by his his mirror image and he shatters the mirror. And instead of the mirror image disappearing, it splits into tiny, smaller ashes, right? And there's this extended scene. It's like a bit, really, where he's chasing the the mini ashes around, and they're they're small. Like they must have like done some force perspective stuff and some cool stuff on the set with like bigotures and whatnot. And like one of them, he stabs with a fork. He steps on a couple of them. He picks up one by the by the collar and eats it and then chases it with boiling hot water while he's laughing. And he's just chugging boiling water and steam is coming out. Okay, little fella. How about some hot chocolate, huh? <laughs> Bruce Campbell, such a talented, like physical actor. Yeah. yeah. Love him. It's that's got a touch of the sorcerer's apprentice to it. For sure. That is oh, such a fun scene. Rewatched it on YouTube today. What do you got there, Rye, at five? I got a pick at number five that this movie now has a, a television show on Disney+. Plus. It is entitled Willow, 1988, story by George Lucas. And I'm not talking about Willow. Willow is a little person who is uh, trying to save this baby. But I'm actually talking about uh, the brownies, I believe they're called, which are those mm-hmm. two little fairies. I, I got their names as Rule or Raoul and Fringine. Am I saying that right? I, I'm hoping. Maybe you remember it, Matt. I don't and, remember, but I know that one of them is Kevin Pollack, So Yes. And I mean, these are miniature. Uh, they're, they're the size of like large insects that uh, you could barely see. So you already got Val Kilmer as the knight, full scale. Then you got Willow. A little person. And then you got these brownies who are, like I said, like the size of like grasshoppers. They could stand on people's like shoulders and run around. They help Willow. Do I do I love this movie? Do I love the the, the brownies in general? No. But I'm stretching here, Matt, for my, my shrinking scenes here. So they come in at number five. You better like Willow. What the hell is wrong with you saying you you don't like Willow? <laughs> I have one credit on IMDb. If you look me up, I worked on a movie called Chasing Robert, and the other, the other brownie, the guy that's not Kevin Pollock, was was in the movie, and he he's also in Groundhog's Day when Bill Murray steals the truck, and the the guy who's sitting next to him saying we should go get flapjacks. Mm. That's this guy. He was an amazing person who had some great stories. We talked about the brownies and Willow and all that stuff. All right. Well, the brownies were my number five pick. John, you're number four. I got to go with Beetlejuice. I just got to go with Beetlejuice because every second of Michael Keaton in that movie is kind of like precious. It was the one flaw I had with that was there wasn't enough of him. And and just every time he was on on screen, I I, I laughed. <laughs> so for some stupid reason, a, a very memorable moment of a shrinking person is when his head gets small and, you know, next to the other guy whose head was shrunk too. Tim Burton really plays with scale a lot in that movie. Yeah. There's the, yeah. they have the miniature of the town in their attic. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 he does. Yeah, that's a good point. And do that. when Beetlejuice first meets the couple. Yeah. Oh, he's small there too, of course. He is. Yes. Yeah. He's and small he, throughout the morning. When he 
gets the fly and he's like, hey, come over here. You want a zag nut? Hey, you. Hey, come here. Hungry? Come on. Hey, come here. I got something good for you. Come on. Come on over. I have a little bite. I have something to nosh. <laughs> come here. Help me. Help me. I love that scene, dude. Come here, say it three times. <laughs> That's such a good scene. It's it is. so rapid fire fast. Like that'll be something that if I want to talk about like how important pace is, watch watch Michael Keaton there. He goes so fast when he draws them. That's a great he draws everybody down into that little diorama. He and does. That guy's mouth is going a mile a minute. The pace is so fast, everybody's sharp in that scene. It's pretty impressive. I agree. That is a great one. All right. At number four, I'm doing another scene at number four, not an entire film dedicated to shrinking. Mike TV is one of the unfortunate <laughs> kids. Am I spoiling one? All right. Oh, that's okay. I love that. He's okay. one of the unfortunate winners of the golden ticket who goes on Willy Wonka's tour in the Gene Wilder 1971 film, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. They all have a fatal flaw, right? Or are guilty of some kind of sin. And Mike TV obviously is like a TV addict, which is still a thing. Uh, now it's little screens we hold in our hands, but this kid can't unglue his eyes from the boob tube. So when he gets a chance to be in TV, he jumps at it and he winds up getting shrunken down and his mom has to pick him up and put him in her purse. It was pretty good special effects for that time. It's completely memorable. Yeah. Where'd he go? He's above your head little in little pieces. <laughs> Pixelated. Yeah. How did they get a hand so big to pick him up? It's such a good gag. You go to the giant hand store, right? Come on. <laughs> yeah. Good pick, Matt. I actually forgot about that that scene. Fantastic. My number four is a whole movie about shrinking down. And I, I saw the movie. I didn't give it that favorable of a review. But the concept of it, uh, it's written by Alexander Payne, was fantastic. And this came out just five years ago, 2017, starred Matt Damon. The movie is called Downsizing. The idea is that Matt Matt Damon, who plays uh, Paul in the movie, and his wife Audrey, played by Kristen Wiig, decide to undergo a process in which scientists shrink them down to miniature size to live in small communities, and that way everything costs less because everything's so small, and that you can live like a millionaire if all you had was, say, $500,000 saved up in your savings, 401k. That would be like... $20 million in real life because everything's going to be so cost efficient because you're going to be shrunken down. No spoiler here. He goes to get the process. Uh, they both go in together. And then Kristen Wiig, his wife, pulls out of the, the process. She can't go through with it. And Matt Damon gets shrunken down to little Matt Damon. And now his wife is, is no longer in the picture. And he goes off. And that's really where the movie takes off. He goes to live with this new community of miniatures. It had a shot of maybe being something special. Uh, didn't really work for me. But the concept, what a brilliant idea. It's a great Downsizing. idea. They lived like an entire city on, on like a, a countertop. You know? Right. Like one banana would be all you would need for like a month. Oh, yeah. Huge. And, and there's some good special effects. There's like a giant battery. There's, there's moments where they walk around and, and they've come across things that you know, normal people have dropped and you get that like scale where it's like, oh my God, what is this? They see this like giant beer and everybody obviously, I mean, one beer could get, you know, the entire town drunk for a month. That is pretty cool. Did they get chased by a cat, right? 
at mm. some point. Mm. Mm. No cats. <laughs> Such a good that, trope. Yeah, that was yeah, my number four is. downsizing. Into our threes we go, John. I was going to say uh, Willy Wonka and Mike TV. Uh, and just I got to give one more shout out to that moment of the great, which might have been an ad lib by Gene Wilder, but that little that little under understated, very unenthusiastic um, stop, don't come back <laughs> before, before the kid gets particleized. Mm-hmm. I just I love that. But I'm going to go with another one. I will go with uh, the 66 uh, Fantastic Voyage. Two years. I'm glad this came up. Yeah, I mean it was it was good because it kind of it kind of mixed the whole idea of science fiction, which I was I was into. I wasn't a you know moviegoer uh, in '66. I was just practically born. But yeah, when I saw it, it like it hit all the pleasure spots. You know, like it was science fiction. There was there was Raquel Welch in some white tight fitting wetsuit. You know, like this is so contrived in so many ways. And yet, you know, I wanted, you know, for a kid who wanted to be a scientist, for me, it was really, really impressed. Uh, you know, it made an impression on me. I've never seen this. I saw it, but I was a child. I, I barely remember it. I rewatched the trailer today to see if it would like jog my memory. And this was marketed as like high science fiction. It was like oh, a yeah. very serious movie, high budget. <laughs> Did that get Academy Awards? It got nominated for sure. I don't know. Can, are you writing these down, Ryan? Yeah, let's, I'll, let's I'll look throw it up. that in the I fish think it, tank. I think it got an award or two. We'll look it up during the break, and we'll come back with the facts after. I've got to rewatch Fantastic Voyage because it's it's a Jules Verne story too, I believe. Correct? Yeah, I think so. I think it's like yeah, you know, ten thousand leagues. Thing. Yeah, and and just that that trailer. I have seen that trailer. <laughs> You're not going to tell me I can't take my beautiful buxom triad technician with me. It's a great trailer. <laughs> if you watch nothing else, just watch the trailer. Yeah. That swings it over to me. And Ryan, if I said eat me, what movie would you think of? Uh, I have no idea, Matt. The 1951 Disney animated classic Alice in Wonderland, of course. No, I wasn't going there, but okay, let's let's go there. <laughs> Where were you going? <laughs> yeah, it's a classic scene from from a classic story. She eats a piece of cake. There's an eat me and a drink me option. One of them shrinks her and one of her one of them makes her a giant. She has to shrink down to fit through a keyhole. It's a it's a recurring motif in the in the story that it plays with with scale and her size. I mean, the whole thing really is an allegory for drugs, especially psychedelics. It's basically what you feel like when you eat a bunch of mushrooms, like you 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 become tiny or you become a giant or something like that. It's amazing how it's permeated into the the zeitgeist and pop culture and how it's still so relevant today because maybe I guess because people still like mushrooms, but that movie's not going anywhere. You know, it's just a it's a bona fide classic. Did you see the Tim Burton version? Yeah, I did. And I think it's a travesty. Uh, I don't like it at all. And I love Burton, but that one is just not for me. What? It, how about you? I, I didn't hate it, but it, he seemed like he was the right director to make that movie and it should have turned out better than it really did. But sometimes it just doesn't work out, but I wouldn't say it was a complete misfire for me. I thought it was serviceable. All right. Travesty is a strong word, but I guess, you know, there have been better takes on the Alice in Wonderland story and Burton's is not one of my favorites. I even like the Tom Petty uh, music video. There's a great horror movie called Alice 
that also has a similar theme where she has to shrink and get through like doors and stuff. Worth checking out. It's pretty creepy. All right. My number three pick comes from uh, Ben Stiller Comedy. That guy makes comedy gold. A Night at the Museum, my number three (laughs) pick. This is a movie, obviously, the, the, the idea here is that when the lights go out, the museum comes to life. And one of the sections of the museum is called the Hall of Miniatures. And in there, we have a mini Owen Wilson comes to life as a cowboy. And we get uh, Steve Coogan as a Roman general. And they are miniatures. You couldn't ask for a better uh, duo here of Owen Wilson and Steve Coogan. And having them shrunk down into miniature size is just, uh, it's, it's comedy gold, Matt. I actually like the Night at the Museum movies. Why wouldn't you? The, these are films that you can put on or come into like halfway through and you just said enjoy movies. them. You, yeah. you mean the whole series? No, I can't agree with you there. The first I, one's I, great. Are, are there three or just two? I don't know. I'm there's, going there's with the, yeah, I think too there's many. two. There might even be three, but at least the first two I thought were, were damn good. But the first one for sure, anyways, is very enjoyable. Robin Williams. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Robin Williams. It's, it's the kind of movie what I was going to say is like if you came in and you put it on and you were halfway through the movie... You'd be like, all right, let's finish Night at the Museum. It's just an easy kind of watch, you know? Good pick, Ryan. I say we take a break here. We, we got a okay. couple of things to, to unpack in the, in the fish tank. Plus, we got some feedback I want to read. We come back. We got our top two picks. Plus, Matt is taking John in. Michael Douglas, Michelle Pfeiffer movie trivia. Stick with us. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. In 2013, Michelle Pfeiffer starred opposite Robert De Niro in Luc Besson's The Family. In this clip, she has a motherly conversation with her daughter about <clears throat> studying. Say, who's this Henry you invited? Somebody told you about him? No, he called. So, who is he? He's this teacher at the school. I, I, he will be a teacher. He has his exam soon, and he's been giving me private lessons. Private lessons. Math lessons, Mom. Fine. You have condoms at least? Mom. What? We do the lessons at school in study hall. So? You know, desire sneaks up on you, honey. It never waits for the right time or place. Take your father, for example. The first time he jumped on me was in church, the very last place I expected to lose my virginity. (laughs) It's going to be different for me, Mom. You love spy movies? Well, our show is all about spy movies from the classics like The 39 Steps, The Ipcris File, to James Bond, Mission Impossible, and current releases like No Time to Die. This is Dan Silvestri. And Tom Pizzotto. Just go to your favorite podcast app and search Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. Do the same on YouTube. Our show decodes key scenes, dives into connections and influences from other movies, does interviews with actors and directors, and keeps you informed with our Spy Movie News segment, all while having fun. Podcasts and YouTube videos. Join us on Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. And we are back on Cinema Jaw, hanging out with John Mossman, director of Good Guy with a Gun. It's playing here in Chicago at the Gene Siskel Film Center. Already sold out, which is awesome. For more information on Good Guy with a Gun, 
We have links in the show notes. Check it out, Jawheads. Matt, we're down here, and I wanted to, A, read some feedback, and B, we threw a few facts into the fish tank. Should we open up the fish tank? Oh, wait, no, don't. If you open a fish tank in the quantum realm, it explodes. Good to know. Yeah. Good to know. Let's just do the facts out here outside the fish tank. Yeah, looking at the fish tank, and we'll just read it from here. Jawheads, Phil, still out. We'll be back, but not just yet, Matt. Let's get to these facts. First up, when was John Mossman on Cinema Jaw? I had said about four to five years ago. It was September 2019. What? Episode 437. Oh, my God. We reviewed It Chapter 2, and we did our favorite reunion movies. Wow. Welcome back, yeah. John. It's been uh, too long. I, it has been that is long. It Almost like four years yesterday. ago. It's crazy, right? Oh God. Yeah. yeah. Now, the other one we have, Matt, do you have the fact in front of you? It is about the Fantastic Voyage. I do. The question was, did the Fantastic Voyage win any awards? While we were looking this up, John correctly stated he didn't think this was a Jules Verne. It's not. It's it's based on a story by Otto Clement and Jerome Bixby. But did it win some awards? Yes. Yes, it did win some Academy Awards. It won for Best Art Direction and Best Special Effects. It was also nominated for three others, including cinematography, editing, and sound editing. Interesting. Also sports a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes. So this is a uh, a lauded film. People I'm love gonna, it. I'm going to write this one down. I've never seen it. So this gives me an excuse to check it out. Thank you, John, yeah. for the recommendation. And I think I need to revisit that too. I, as I recall, everything was super wooden, like Donald Pleasance, but it's, people love it. So, Matt, while we're outside the fish tank, we got some feedback. A lot of people liked our underrated list. I, I even heard from friends that listened to the show. They loved us talking about the underrated actors. And uh, we got some feedback both on Facebook and Twitter. And this thread on on Twitter came through from Lucas Matthew that I I thought we had to read. He's at the Blink 44 on Twitter. He wrote, good morning, gentlemen. I had an actor for consideration in the most underrated category, Dave Bautista. First, Hmm. let's look at the astounding list of movies he's been in. Guardians of the Galaxy, Spectre, Blade Runner 2049, Dune, Glass Onion, and his leading role in Knock at the Cabin. They are ensemble casts, these movies in which he suggests. He's not the one maybe pulling in the audience, but when he's on screen, he is captivating in what his role brings to the movie. Second, he goes on to say, I have some beef to pull with Matt here. Oh, Earlier, We know who picked this uh feedback go ahead earlier in the episode matt was speaking on ray fines and says he's voldemort which i don't think many people know end quote that's insane it's only the biggest movie and book franchise this millennium (laughs) really enjoyed the episode some might even call it very in quotes underrated in the pantheon of cinema jaw oh well thank you for the feedback yes thank you lucas Lucas, uh, I would just say in my defense, I think what I was trying to say is with the heavy makeup, non-cinemophiles like ourselves wouldn't recognize him walking down the street and say, oh, that's the guy that played Voldemort. That's what I was trying to get across. Like, We know that it's him. We know, right. but maybe but, some people might not. Like my mom would have no idea who, Vol- who played Voldemort. I, I did pick this feedback to read on the show because he had brought that up. I, I love when something comes up that I forget about, but... 
a lot of times when we're recording the show and, and you're just riffing on something and you say one of your classic Matt Kabinsky moments, you know, you know, like what, what did asinine. Matt K just say? Yeah. I, I want to catch up and say it, but then you might say two other thoughts after that and I never get a chance. That was one of them. When you had said it, you're, you're like, most people don't know he's, he's Voldemort. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Of course people know he's Voldemort. Of course. Yeah, I'm fast. I'm fast like Beetlejuice, man. You know, <laughs> I just go, I go rapid fire. That's how you keep the bullshit flowing. Last order of business. Looking forward to next week, Matt. Right now on the table, Cocaine Bear. This is going to be our review. And wow. it, it's notable for being Ray Liotta's last role. So we got to come up with the top five uh, bear movies, bear scenes. How about I don't top, know. Top Start five cocaine-fueled. Um, oh, man. Maybe top five cocaine yeah. movies. And that's actually not a bad idea. It really that isn't. Is, that's I mean, a pretty good idea. <laughs> we could go there. We could go we there. Could. We could. That's our review next week, Jawheads. So uh, a, a little teaser. Cocaine Bear will be reviewed next week. Back into the quantum realm, back into our top five. We left off through three films. So our top two favorite movies about shrinking. John, you're kicking us off with number two. Oh, man. I will go with the 1977 cult classic and worst first date movie ever. Eraserhead. Oh, yeah. Lady in the Radiator. Lauren Near, I think her name was. Yeah, I can I can remember the lyrics, but uh, I I would pay anybody to try to remember that tune. It's haunting and freaking weird. And uh anyway, yeah, it sticks with you. Did you take a first date to see no, Eraserhead? No, but the, one of my buddies did. And <laughs> Wow. There was not a second one. He did not know. It. <laughs> <laughs> it was in Madison, man. It was all over. Everyone was playing a razor head, you know. So this yeah. was a this was a David Lynch film I needed to catch up with. They did this uh retrospective last year at the Music Box where they played all David Lynch's films and I finally went and yeah. saw Eraserhead packed house. I I was under the impression it wasn't going to be that crowded cuz it was like a Monday night. I thought ah, I'll just go Ooh. in there. I walk in, couldn't even find a seat. Dude, you Ryan, know, it's it, like a religious experience yes. for everyone. <laughs> Yes. Did the guy come down? Did the projectionist come down and go, if I see one of these cell phones, I will come down and tell you once. If I see it a second time, I will take it. And then everybody like nods respectfully. Yes. It yes. was crazy. The the reverence, which was cool. I loved it because I'm a big David Lynch fan. And so it's like this to see all the love for him. And then to be in a packed theater for my first experience with a racer head, I thought like, what a special night. I mean, it was it was awesome. Yeah. I did that for uh, for Mulholland. Anyway, that's that's my uh, that's my number two. Nice. Eraserhead's a great one, man. It's, it is. It's like a cult unto itself. Even if you're not a David Lynch fan. Yeah. All right. At number two, I have the the whole reason we're here. The original Ant Man from 2015, taking the Jawheads back to 2015. Ryan, who is a who ostensibly a film journalist, right? If if you want to give him that much credit, is a Thank film you, journalist. Thank you. Yeah. Decided he was going to ban Marvel films. He was not going to watch them, not going to cover them. I, I was making a point. He was closing his mind to the to the Marvel films. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> here here comes Ant-Man in 2015. I had to beg and plead. He's like, Ant-Man, you gotta be kidding me. I think I could roll tape on it, you know, if I looked hard enough. But he went and he saw it and he loved it. And this converted him into the Marvel fan that he is today, loving <laughs> even the terrible ones like Ant-Man, Quantumania. But the first movie 
played with this shrinking thing so much. It was so much fun. You got to re- you remember the scene in the shower where like a, a drop of water comes down and he almost gets washed down the drain when he first learns how to use his small powers and but punch with the might of a, of a big person. It's ridiculous and fun. He runs down the barrel of a gun and punches somebody in the face. Great use of of scale, you know, For and sure. with the pin particles, they shrink down a tank and stuff like that. And, and the there's a scene and, and where he's in the purse, right? He is in a purse and he hits like the cell phone and, and he's bouncing around inside uh, yes. the woman's purse. I, all of that was fantastic. Yeah. And he says like, he says something like, oh my God. And the song starts to play. It's like Siri, play this song. Yeah. The original Ant-Man worth a revisit. And I can't believe it's already eight years old. That's crazy. It is. My number two pick came out in 1995. Could be a number one here. Could be a number one. The Indian in the Cupboard. Oh, Oh, didn't even think about that one. (laughs) That's a good one. So it's based on a book of the same name, very famously. And I I remember watching this movie and just loving the idea of uh, a, a toy coming to life. And it's basic premise is that this boy leaves this toy Native American figurine outside of the cupboard. And when he comes and he wakes up at night, he realizes that this this figurine has come to life. They put a second one there. It comes to life. Then his, I think it's his brother in the movie, ends up putting a cowboy in there. And these figurines are coming to life in the cupboard. Again, talking about the scale, not nearly done as well as we've seen in Ant-Man and as things progressed. But the idea that these characters were coming to life and you had the, the kids' faces and heads being like really big in the background, looking down on these characters in the little cupboard. Uh, I remember thinking it was pretty, pretty well done, you know, kind of magical feeling that these toys really did come to life. And we're looking back up at, you know, this humongous kid, big fan of the story in general. And then when the movie came out, it was a huge hit as well. It was well received. There's a new book in the series. And when I say new, I mean, within the last decade, I think it was like six, seven years ago, maybe, maybe a little bit longer, but a fairly recent entry, but they're, I'll correct you on one point, Ryan. They're not toys come to life. I mean, yes, they do begin as toys, but what what comes out of the cupboard when he opens the door are humans, are real people. They're miniature, but they're real people with a past, with lives. Right. I'm describing them as toys, right? A good thing to bring up is, yes, they, they come to come to life as actual right. people. They, they've been somehow transported by the magic of whatever the cupboard is to this to this world and into this time but they're small it's like almost like a time machine kind of thing it's a great story it has a lot of implications and the little boy who's who's the main character learns a lot about empathy and the characters learn a lot from each other it's a yeah one of my favorites from childhood Love was it. this your number one i thought i might be stealing number ones here but no of course okay. not no okay I have a good one at number one. John, do you have a good one at number one? Matt's already touting uh, his number one. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, uh, this was just hands down stuck in my brain. It's like everything leads back to 2001 in this movie. And this would be, for me, everyone's favy, favorite creepy, laughing, overly happy couple crawling out of a bag and hanging out at a door uh, right before Naomi Watts whacks herself. <laughs> Mulholland Drive, nice. creepy weirdo couple. 
<laughs> Back to David Lynch we go. Two yeah, and I, one. I, I like I it. I actually could have done probably five, all five David Lynch if we include <laughs> Twin Peaks. But yeah, that's that's the the weird couple that are hanging out at the end of the uh, the movie. They they are a very strange happy couple that just give you the willies, I guess. Yeah, that weird like thigh smack, and it's just one to the other. Yeah, so that's the one that sticks in my head. But you know, when it comes to like things like two thousand one or or Mulholland Drive, I'm like a I'm like a duckling who saw that at a very impressionable time, and I've just imprinted mm-hmm. on those movies. So it, they just they just stick in my head. I can't. Yeah. Well said. Well said. I I agree. So John, I we've had the producer on from Mulholland Drive here, and I, I've talked to him oh. about what what a moment it was for me too. I mean, that was when I was like actually taking cinema seriously. You know. Yeah. I'm a, always <laughs> unlike been a movie today. Fan, right? Oh, right. But but I always was a movie fan. But then it was like you know I was really looking at it as art and and really getting serious about it. And what do I go see but Mulholland Drive? And then. Really, ever since then, I say, well, it's probably my favorite movie of all time. It's because it had that impression on me. It just, Isn't it f- it's just in. And it's like, well, yeah, this is what I want a film to be. It's just, it's great art. It's entertaining. You can imagine what the movie's about to you personally and, and still sort of try to figure out in general what it is. And it's just a great conversation piece. I love that movie, man. Yeah, I saw that at the uh, music box, and uh, uh-huh. every time I see it, it's always something, some, some, some new experience. Yeah, wonderful. Do they ever play Lost Highway? I'm a Lost Highway guy. Oh my something. god! Yeah, yeah. What do you guys think of that movie? Have you seen that lately? Not lately. I mean, last time I saw it was probably in the '90s. Yeah, same here. I watched it twice in a row, just, just trying to decipher the secrets. It's a weird movie. I, it's a weird movie, man. Yeah, I, I, Matt, I they, don't know if I got to watch it again. They played it at the the retrospective. I know for sure. Did yeah, they? I couldn't, I couldn't see it. Yeah, they played them all. Um, that and Blue Velvet are probably my two favorites of of mm-hmm. Lynch, but really can't go wrong. That swings it to my number one. And when you think this is the movie that came to my head right away after Honey I Shrunk the Kids. There is really one other pinnacle shrinking movie, and this is the whole movie. Very Fantastic Voyage-esque, and I think they admit that right on the right on its face, but with a slapstick element thrown on top, it is the 1987 Martin Short vehicle, Inner Space. This was a VHS-era favorite of mine. I would rent this movie because I was a dork, you know, and I, I would be homesick from school or something. Yeah, probably. But I would watch this movie again and again. Dennis Quaid plays the explorer. He's a test pilot. They shrink him down in some weird scientific experiment. The the lab gets raided and one of the scientists escapes with the syringe with Dennis Quaid inside of his ship. And instead of being injected into a rabbit, he gets injected into the ass of Martin Short. He takes control of his his optic nerves and all different like wacky physical things happen to Martin Short. He winds up becoming an action hero. It's a great performance. His, he's so physical. That guy is one of the best. He's right up there with Gene Wilder, in my opinion. I've never seen Inner Space, unfortunately, so I got no comment. John, you seem like you were a fan of this one. Yeah, and I now that he says that, I'm, I'm going to go home and probably find that old VHS <laughs> if I haven't given it to my buddy Joe, who's in VHSs, and, uh, and, and I'm going to watch that. Meg Ryan also in inner space. It's it's a who's who of of 1987. I'll tell you that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Nice. And short was at his peak there. 
no my doubt. number one pick, it's an animated movie. And the reason it landed at number one was the, the whole movie is about shrinking down into like a secret kingdom and world of uh, shrunkenness, if you will. It is a 2013 film, and I like that it's on Disney+. Plus. Remember, I saw it on there. And I was like, man, I never watched this. It gave me an excuse to see it, and I put it on. The movie is called Epic. I don't know this one. This was a, a DreamWorks animated film, and it's based on the children's book called The Leaf Men and the Brave Good Bugs. And it follows a teenage girl. Her dad is obsessed and believes that there is this like magical, hidden little miniature world in their backyard. And he's looking for it and looking for it. The daughter, Miri, the teenager, gets shrunken down and gets teleported to this tiny woodland kingdom which is inhabited by like talking slugs and flower people and tiny soldiers. There's this entire world in this little space in, in, a, in a yard, and this entire kingdom and ecosystem and everything exists in this little square area, but it's so tiny that no one knows what's going on. Plays with you know the size of like what we're talking about with Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, mm. where you know the adult now is out in the backyard and they can't see. The Here comes the lawnmower. Girl. Yeah, a little bit of that kind of stuff. But really, it's about it stays within the miniature kingdom the whole time, and you know these wood people and and the slugs and so on and so forth. I'm telling you, I missed it in the theater, and we didn't talk about it. We were already doing Cinema Jaw. Uh, it's got some great voice work. I think Jake Gyllenhaal is in there. Beyonce, maybe. Might be wrong on that, but it's got some big names in there. And didn't talk about it. I finally caught up with it, and I'm glad I did. It's called Epic. And it's your number one. My number one. Mainly wow. because it's all about the shrunken kingdom, you know? So it's, it's a fun yeah. one. So. Okay. Honorable mentions. Ants, the Woody Allen animated movie about being an ant. Very oh. funny. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, it should be mentioned. Yep. And then Big Lebowski. Yes, thank yep. you. Yeah. We got it. We got it. It, it is only one scene, but uh, when Big Lebowski is the miniature and then the bowling ball is going after him, it's, it's pretty fantastic. That's pretty fantastic. <laughs> Any other ones for you guys, honorables? You got all of mine, man. You got them all. You guys hit them all, and then plus a bunch. It's an odd list. I think we hit the highlights, you guys. It is. Very yeah, odd list. I feel pretty good about them. You always get an odd list when you say, hey, Matt, why don't you pick the top five this week? This is what we get. We're talking about miniatures. That's because I like to have fun. <laughs> Jawheads, if we missed your favorite movie about shrinking and you have Twitter pulled up, shoot us a tweet. We are at CinemaJaw. Our email is feedback at CinemaJaw.com. We like to end our podcast with some fun trivia. And in honor of Quantum Mania, we're playing Michelle Pfeiffer, Michael Douglas movie trivia. Now, yeah. there's there's usually steals on all questions, but gentlemen, today on the first three questions, the answer is either Michael Douglas or Michelle Pfeiffer, one or the other. So <laughs> there's no steals on the first right. three. Makes no sense? No steals, first three. Okay, got okay. it. Yeah, yeah. John, you're our guest. You get to choose if you want to go first. Uh, I'll and they, go first. Okay, they start off easy. Here we go. Question number one. Which of the two actors, Michelle Pfeiffer or Michael Douglas, starred in the 1986 film Sweet Liberty, directed by Alan Alda? Jesus Christ. I think that was Pfeiffer. That is correct. It was Pfeiffer. Yes. Well, One she was to nothing. busy in 86 through 89. Yes, she, was really she really busy. was. Yeah. One to nothing, John. Question two over to Matt Kay. Matt, which of the two actors lent their voice to the 1988 animated film, The Prince of Egypt? 
Michelle I... Pfeiffer or Michael Douglas? Michael Douglas. That is incorrect. We're looking for Michelle Pfeiffer. Wow. No steal there. Also, no steal on this one. John, which of the two actors, Pfeiffer or Douglas, has more Oscar nominations? Oh, Pfeiffer. Am I right or not? That is correct. Get a load of this. Michelle Pfeiffer has three Oscar nominations, one for supporting for Dangerous Liaisons. Yeah. And then two for lead actress, Fabulous Baker Boys and Love Field. Wow. Has not won any. Love Field. Yeah. Has not has not won any. So she's been nominated three times, hasn't won. Michael Douglas nominated for two and won both. He got nominated for producing One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which uh, won Best Picture, yeah. and he won for Wall Street Best for Actor. Wall Street, yeah. So Wow. It is two to nothing, John. Question four over to Matt Kay. Now there's steals, guys. There are steals okay. if you don't get them correct. Here we go. Matt, Michael Douglas made one movie with Demi Moore. It came out in 1994. Name it. 1994, Douglas and Moore. Wow. Um, Sounds like a law firm. firm. Douglas and Moore. Uh, Wow. Well, wait. It's not... Isn't... Wait. Indecent Proposal isn't him. That's... uh, Isn't that Redford? Okay. Uh... She's 94. She was so young, 94. Indecent proposal. I don't know. That is incorrect. John, you get a chance for a steal God, here. I, this is, may not even exist, but I, something tells me something like pole dance. <laughs> you think? I think you're thinking of striptease. <laughs> yeah, striptease. I, I love the answer, pole dance. Belly grind, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> we got to we got to pull that sound clip and use it in the future. I love it. Pull dance. That is incorrect. We're looking for disclosure. Disclosure. It's such that's so similar. Yeah, so I, close. So yeah, close. it's almost really the same title. <laughs> pull dance. All right, it's two to nothing, John. Question five is over to him. John Michelle Pfeiffer made one movie with Sean Penn. It came out oh, in two thousand and one. Wow. Name the film. These questions went from 50-50 guesses to like to really super hard. difficult. Yeah. No, te- Tequila Sunrise was Gibson. Uh, shoot, shoot, shoot. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. 2001. I'm, I'm, I'm Nothing? Steal, steal it away, man. Matt, you got a gotta guess? Sean Penn? Mystic River? We were looking for pole dance. <laughs> 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 well when when aren't we really you know really yeah uh... all right the name of the movie we're looking for <laughs> <laughs> the name of the movie we're looking for was i am sam i am Sam. oh yeah yeah that's actually a really good movie damn it that is, i like that, that is a good movie it's yeah, really okay. good it is yeah. still two to nothing john and question six is over to matt Michael Douglas has made one movie with Sean Penn. Oh, jeez. And that came out in 1997. Michael Douglas and Sean Penn made a movie in 97. What was the name of that one, Matt? Wow. Sean Penn, 97. What was Sean Penn up to in 97? Madonna. 
Yeah, actually, I was. I think it was long over by ninety-seven. Was it? Was it over by then? Yeah, uh, I, I think so. Was, yeah. Let's see, uh, dude. I I don't. I can't even venture a guess. Fast times at Ridgemont High three. <laughs> Spicoli's revenge. Absolutely incorrect, John. Do you got a guess on this one? Michael Douglas, uh, Sean boy. Penn. I'm gonna go with. I don't know. It's like. What did they do? Uh, Las Vegas. Last Vegas. <laughs> I love these that? titles. We're looking for the game. The game. Okay. David Fincher. No. Yeah, uh, we just watched that, didn't we? We did we, Michael Douglas month. Yeah. A few, yeah. It's a great one. All right. It's, it's still two to nothing, John. I can't believe this. Question seven yeah. is over to him, John. <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer replaced Annette Benning as Catwoman. We found this out on Cinema Jaw last week. Annette Benning made one film with Michael Douglas. Annette Benning, Michael Douglas, and The White House, 1995. Yeah, it was the... Um, I know I saw it. Uh, God damn, I can't remember, man. <laughs> <laughs> Got nothing. nothing. These Michael Matt. Douglas questions, boy, let me tell you. Okay, I'm going to do some process of elimination here. It's not White House Down. It's not Air Force One. It's not The West Wing, because that's a TV show with Martin Sheen. Boy, what does that leave us? Olympus has fallen. Incorrect. We are looking for an American president. I knew, hey, Michael Douglas plays the president in that movie. He I does. can tell you that. <laughs> he got that, yeah. He does. And then he goes on a date with Annette Benning, and oh, man, what a movie. All right, here it is. John won the game already. It's two to nothing. Last question of the game, Matt, is over to you. In 1996, Michelle Pfeiffer starred in the rom-com One Fine Day opposite this Batman actor. Okay, well, that's a narrow field, okay? You really, what year did you say? 1996. Okay. It's either going to be Keaton or Clooney, maybe Kilmer, but I think that their age difference is a little bit too much. So I'm going to go with everybody's favorite Batman, Michael Keaton. Damn it. goes over over on this one. That would have been mine too. So So you got to guess here. That is correct. That is (laughs) correct. It is Clooney. You're welcome. (laughs) John slaughters Matt on this one. Three to nothing. Can I get a gentleman's and handshake here? Yes, handshake. Yeah. Fist bump. If it came down to a tie, a jawbreaker, this question would have been over to John. Better career, Michelle Pfeiffer or Michael Douglas? Ooh. Jeez, that's... Heavy hitters here. You know what? I'm going to go I'm gonna go with Douglas just because I think he's had a resurgence with, with uh, Comiskey Method. That is incorrect. It's Michelle Pfeiffer. <laughs> well, and then who do I want to hang out with and have a beer? It's going to be Michelle. No doubt. Age of Annette Benning closest to. That was the real jawbreaker. Matt, age of Annette Benning closest to. Boy, uh, Annette Benning was most recently popped up in that uh, Ready or Not movie as the matriarch, correct? That is incorrect. No. Who was that? That was Andy McDowell. That was Andy McDowell. Annette Benning. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Annette Benning is the mom in American Beauty. Correct. Okay. So she's in her mid to late 40s in American Beauty, and that was in 1995, I think. So, okay, so she's got to be 
maybe let's say 70 years old, seven zero. <laughs> I love Matt, Matt's watching this jaw heads is, is Matt's <laughs> my mental gymnastics. Yeah. Lock him I, in at 70. John, you got a guess on Annette Benning's age. Oh, on her. Uh, let's see. Man, I met her once. I'm trying to think of what that was. 94. So she looked like she was, that was how long ago was 94. <laughs> it's a long time ago. It's 30 or 40 years ago. 30 years ago. So I'm going to say 72. She's 64. 64 Mother, are you kidding? <laughs> wow. Oh my God. Oh, don't tell her I said that. She'll be so, so she was only in her thirties when Shut she did, up. when she did, uh, 64 American for, for, uh, for Annette Benning. Wow. She looks great. She really does. She looks fantastic for 72. <laughs> wow. Good times. This was a laugh at the end, I tell you guys. Yeah, this is what happens in the quantum I, realm, yeah, you guys. I think it's I, like... Yes, it's, boy, oh boy. It's Hilarious. affecting our brain cells here. Yikes. First and foremost, we got to thank our guest, John. <laughs> Congratulations on the film. Best of luck with the screens over at the Cisco. I take it you're doing a Q&A uh, there as yeah, well? Yeah, awesome. we are. We've, in fact, we and we sold out both theaters. I don't know if I mentioned that, but they, they it's the first time they put both on sale. So we sold both those and we're going to do a, we're going to do a Q and a, but we are also doing a, um, like a listening assisted version in the other theater. So there will be a live captioning and, um, and, uh, open captioning during the movie and then live captioning during the Q and a. So yeah, it's, we're kind of helping, uh, trying to push, push towards a little faster, um, assisted listening, uh, for, for film goers. So props cool. to, yeah, to the Cisco Center for doing that. So, yep, there'll be a Q&A and um, Pat Uber critic McDonald will oh. be moderating. One good of our friend favorites. of ours. Yeah. yeah. Isn't he? He's, yeah, he's the best. Uh, Mensch, man, he's a good guy. He really and is. And then after that, we're, we're talking to uh, a local theater that I know you guys know, and uh, we'll see if we can nail it down there shortly after. And then we're going to be in a couple festivals. Uh, just now got word we'll be in the capital city in Michigan, and we are in the Wisconsin Film Fest up at Madison. And then a couple other international ones coming in. So awesome. anyway, watch yeah, watch uh, Facebook and uh, Insta, and you can you can get all the updates. So thank you guys. You got it. My next, my next movie will be Pole Dancer. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> Matt, we also got to thank the sponsors. We should. We should. Thanks to Cracking the Code of Spy Movies podcast. We appreciate their support. And lastly, we want to thank the Patreons. Thank you for supporting the show. If you'd like to join our family of Patreons, the easiest way to do so is to go to patreon.com slash cinemajaw. Join us there. It would mean the world to us. And we're doing a lot of fun extras here. We so. are. We're closing out Michelle Pfeiffer month with a twofer, Ryan. We're doing Grease 2 and Dangerous Liaisons. We're going to record that tonight, as a matter yeah, of fact. we are, once we let John go here. So uh, join us on Patreon. Again, it, it really means the world to us. Until next week, I'm Ryan, the movie guy. I'm Matt Kay. And, and keep on, on John about, about the movies. movies.